perfectly regular place with normal weather. Yeah, we have normal, everything's super normal in both of our places where it was 30 degrees in D.C. this morning and now it's 75. It's totally regular that it was snowing yep. yesterday. That's, that is standard, just standard climates. Normal. Everything's just super regular. <laughs> Hello and welcome. It's your Let's Fix Football finally back doing a regular show, normal show, not in the JFK Airport pub. This is your host, uh, Gabe Lezer, and I'm not drunk this time. Um, I'm just having a regular day, uh, and I am uh, on the phone, joined by Skype, Evan Mateer. What's going on, buddy? Man, I'm also having a very normal day. I'm not traveling around the country for job interviews. I'm also not in an airport bar, which I've been in too many recently. Uh, so I'm happy to just be at my home bar, which is my desk with just like a bottle of scotch. That is exactly what I need to do. I, in fact, don't have a scotch, but I should go get one um, in a little bit. Uh, but you know what I realized about airport bars while I was sitting at JFK after my train to LIRR to air train to JFK uh, was that it's actually totally normal for people to go to airport bars alone and drink um, by themselves at 10 in the morning. Dude, so there's it totally is. It, airport bars can be really sad places. And you know what's even worse about most of them now? And I know this is true at a lot of the bars in JFK is like you don't even need to fucking talk to the bartender to order a drink. They've got little iPads in oh, front of yeah, each dude. seat. And so you just like punch in the iPad like, yeah, bring me a really sad Bloody Mary. And you don't <laughs> even have to get the judgment. You don't have to. I feel like that's actually terrible. Like you should have to yeah. want the Bloody Mary enough to ask for it at 10 o'clock yeah. in order to get it. That should be a prerequisite. The good news about my experience was that I was at the worst terminal at JFK, which is the um, British Airways American Airlines terminal, which is just a parade of nightmarish humanity. It's under construction. Uh, there were just people walking around, stare, like staring off into the distance, looking to find a seat because there's nowhere to sit down. And luckily, Eleanor and I like spotted this pub and just occupied one of their tables for three solid hours while I got yeah. drunk and recorded these things. And like, it was the only good thing that we did on that trip. I mean, uh, I don't need to bore everyone with this, but we flew JFK to uh, Gatwick to Turin to Madrid, which was an absolute fucking nightmare. 30 hours of travel. So, but, but I got to be in Madrid during the Champions League, which fucking ruled. Yeah, that was probably really cool. Yeah, it was. I, can uh, I mean, so there's like a lot to talk about this week. We have obviously coming up... Um, I, I uh, previewed a little bit today. I have an interview with Keon. I want to apologize in advance because my audio is bad because I had to record it at work um, because Keon's uh, uh, was a little under the weather and just wanted to get it done. So fair play to him, and it was great to have him on. It was great conversation, but I fiddled with my stupid uh, headphone mic the entire time. So the it's a audio, very normal, regular podcast host thing to do. It's a normal thing that you you know have a, a podcast where you know you spend a lot of money on an expensive mic and then record from your office uh, with your door closed on your Apple you know, Skype for <laughs> Apple headset, headset yeah. bullshit. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a good one. We're going to 
you know, talk about some of the serious stuff, the actual breakdown. Um, Keon's really, um, and I'll link to it, uh, really fantastic article in 442 about uh, Jurgen Klopp's just ownage of Pep Guardiola. And then we're going to obviously, we talked about Real Madrid and um, Cristiano Ronaldo and Evan. So I think before we get into some of our, our fun stuff, I do want to know from you, like, Best champions was that one of the best Champions League goals of all time, and where where does it rank for you? In like, even though you haven't like been following for a super long time, it's got to be on your list of top five, right? Yeah, it's it's obvious. It's easily one of the coolest goals that I've ever seen. Um, uh, yeah, I can't. I mean, I just can't think of one off the top of my head that's cooler. I mean, it's the Zidane volley um, to win the championship. The Zidane, the Zidane volley is really cool, obviously, and I mean that has the stakes, right? Yeah. Uh, and the stakes are really important if you're gonna if you're gonna try to call out what like the best goal is. Um, yeah. But what what actually brings this goal together for me isn't just how spectacular it is. It's God, which defender was it? Like if you watch the clip, one of the Juve defenders, he he watches it in, and he turns back, and he's like looking right at the camera. He's not meaning to, but he is, and he just holds his arms out like, eh, what are you gonna do? What am I supposed to? How am I supposed to deal with that? This is what impossible. am I gonna do with that? It's like he's not like slapping oh, the ground. Like, why didn't I block that? And he's just like, well, that's 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 a thing. It also owns that uh, someone went on Wikipedia and edited Gianluigi Buffon's Wikipedia page to just be like, Gianluigi Buffon was born in you know nineteen seventy whatever to uh, parents uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and yeah. his mom. It's like, Christina. I mean, he, he does kind so, of own him a little uh, bit, it's man. So good. It's a Buffon. Look, I mean, obviously, there's nothing you can do about that goal, but Buffon might be a little bit done. Yeah, I mean, I I still think he's got he's one of the world's top keepers, and obviously, his team he was the core of that incredible Juve defense last year. But uh, it may have been better for him to go out after that, after Italy failed to qualify for the World Cup. I'm just gonna say, I I, I love watching him. He um he does still rule. Um, but what was recently unearthed, another thing, and not to just pick on Gianluigi Buffon, because that's not what this pick this is about. This is going to be picking on Regis' ability. But uh, Gianluigi Buffon's uh, ownage began way earlier than uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo one. And the, it was underrated, one of the greatest goals in World Cup history. Because, it's underrated because they lost. Zinedine Zidane's penalty in the final of the 2006 World Cup, where he panenka'd it over peak Buffon, like he yeah. just and it was just so stylish and sick. It, I I'd forgotten how incredibly ballsy that that goal was, uh, and holy shit, rewatching it now, the the stones to take that shot that way, it may be the most ballsy thing I've ever seen in in and it's the final of the World Cup. Yeah. It's really cool. It's it super really cool. cool. Zidane is cool. He's really cool. There's certain players that are just like, they're cool and they do cool shit. Like um, headbutting someone who like calls you uh, racist insults. That also rules. That's People, also really cool. I'm team Zidane entirely. He he did everything right in that match. I don't care that he lost the World Cup. Don't fucking tweet me about this. Zidane was the best in that game. And uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, so... Obviously, we have all these um, Champions League actual stories. I'd be interested to hear before we jump into making to dunking on our favorite people. Um, how did you feel? Did you get to watch the Liverpool Manchester City match? Um, I watched it. I was in the airport, um, and I was I watched through. I just I watched the first goal um, and up through the first goal. I'm watching City just get completely carved apart until finally um, 
finally Salah did Salah things and scored the uh, the first goal. It was actually kind of a stupid goal, but whatever happened. And um, and then I remember boarding and checking my phone right before takeoff and seeing that it had become 3-0. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, um, it ruled. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, and yeah, so, so so much for doing the treble, right? Yeah, seriously. I mean, like, obviously they could still come back. We saw a huge comeback last season, but they need to, as I said to Keon, we'll get more to this in, in the Keon interview, so we're not going to talk about it now, but uh, they still do have a shot, obviously, because anyone has a shot after Barcelona did what they did last season. They, ju- they just need, obviously, a um, refereeing performance like the one Barcelona got in that PSG match where they got gifted three goals. Um but so I, I just I think I wanted to start off like our discussion about like the stuff that really is cool uh, by just because we have it's been a while, Evan. It's been a while since we've yeah. checked in with our man, um, RG. So Regis Ability has um, really had a banner a couple of weeks. Yo, um, can I hold you? Hold, hold up for one second. He appears to have changed his his Twitter profile picture to a personal logo. Oh, that's so cool! It is his. It is his initials RG in front of kind of a stylized triangle with the Michelangelo, like you know, God giving like life to man, like God's finger reaching out to man's lifeless hand on either side of the RNG. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm looking at it right now. That's that, holy that shit. Owns I. I'm I'm still a little bit baffled by him generally, like. How he has, I mean, I'm, whatever. He he's just. He, I'd love everything about him. He's so cool. And right before the best thing about this, okay. So the 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 banner couple of weeks started with his commentary on the international games, which were hilarious. And I encourage everyone to go read his commentary about all the different international matches in which uh, he got into fight with some like twelve uh, year olds about whether Timo Werner was uh, the best U twenty three player in the world. Um, he also talked about how uh, a number of uh, Arsenal players are actually like incredibly good because, uh, and I can't really figure out why he was saying what he was saying. So also, anyways, anyone, everyone should go check it out. But we all know his whole thing, Evan, is that he's a huge Pep Guardiola fan. Yeah, that's, that's, his, that's his biggest thing. Yeah, It's his brand. So <laughs> right before this match, right, the, the match where... Pep Guardiola was absolutely exposed and in an absolutely embarrassing way. RG says, Pep has had two plus weeks to prepare his team for tonight. Expect big things. Oh, expecting big things. That it just rules. Like tweeting that and then watching his guy get his ass owned in such a comprehensive way is, is just, it's just so I mean, there's this German word that expresses the enjoyment that you take in watching other people's suffering. And that, you know, I can't remember what it is. Uh, a little, little schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. I don't know. Mm, I have so much, so much. I just slather that schadenfreude on a bun and just, just fucking eat just it. Just pour it in my mouth. Inject it into my veins. Right so in the vein. <laughs> uh, and, but like the, the, the truth is, um, Evan, he's right. Pep did have two weeks to prepare no, his team for this. Sure. They, yeah. It's very possible that Manchester City will win the Premier League tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I think Liverpool will be the only team they've had any trouble with this year at all. 
And it's just the craziest thing because he had two plus weeks to prepare and he had the fucking game plan for how Liverpool was going to play him because they pretty much set up the exact same way as when they beat them uh, 4-3 a couple, you know, a few weeks ago. Right. Uh, so, like, he's, he's we've saw this story before um, and we saw his team struggle before with, Liverpool's press and I really actually expected that City was going to be a lot sharper and just do a lot better passing out of the press because you know yeah I get it you know passing under pressure is hard and Liverpool shuts down passing angles really well but on the other hand like usually City's such a slick passing machine that I figured they would you'll be able to handle it, but they could not and did not. Right. And that's one of the things that Keon mentions in his article. He in fact has this incredible gif of De Bruyne with literally no one around him, like 10, 10 feet in each direction, passing the ball directly to a Liverpool player. It was, yeah, it was the kind of stuff that you'd never expect from, first of all, a pep team. Second of all, from like these people who really are world-class players, like Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best players in the world. Yeah, well, that's that's to the extent. So, to a certain extent, I I think that this loss isn't terribly like on Pep. Like he could have done better, probably setting up the team, I guess. But um, like I think Raheem Sterling probably could have played and gotten more width, and it was a little clogged in the center. And you know, so there's things he could have done uh, to help. But like this might just be kind of the classic bad day at the office. Like yeah. they were still getting the ball into the box, but nobody was doing anything with it. Um, they just weren't sharp. I mean, Sané Sané got absolutely owned. I mean, like literally owned by this 19-year-old right back, uh, Arnold. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, Arnold is good, but Sané and Sané should be better. But I think it's just like across the board, like the the De Bruyne gift really does sum it up. You know, that's not a thing that De Bruyne does on a regular basis, right? He doesn't just give the ball away. So let's um, let's also discuss and and I talk about this again with Keon. So again, won't get too in, too much into it, but the passing map that that um that we prepared that that was prepared for this game shows that essentially Manchester City uh had about five players in exactly the same position on the pitch. And entire, like, they were huge, huge lines between their two center backs, company, yep. um, right. And so uh, their setup looked like, and I mentioned this to Cam, it looked like old school English huckster bullshit with Sané way up the pitch, and then everyone else clumped around in the same area, and like they were just hucking these balls up to Sané. But I just, because we were talking about uh, RG, my man... Uh, will never fault Pep. No, he, he does. He does. And I'm, I'll, I'll cop to it. He did say that this is Pep's worst defeat in his career, which, you know, not, not sure that's true. But uh, this, he says, um, which also ruled, Gundogan was never, was always going to be horrible in a match like this. The only explanation is Pep wants to justify another center mid purchase. And it just owns that he's tr- somehow... Uh, thinking that Pep is playing like 30th dimensional chess by starting bad players in order yeah. to lose to justify spending more money on his billion pound team. Yeah. So this is like the the perfect Occam's razor like situation. Like we could either believe that he's playing the three dimensional chess and is is trying to show that he has the wrong players, which would really be bizarre because like you said, he has unlimited money and gets whatever he wants and also has probably maybe the best team in the world right now so in it just doesn't depth and squ- in just terms of depth and, and squad yeah it's like it's great and you know so he but he's playing bad players to try to make his already great team 
better. It's really weird. It doesn't make sense. Or you could believe that he just played the wrong player for this match. Yeah. And that, you know, Gundogan should have uh, been replaced with Sterling, who could get more width. Or right. You could you, just say that. Yeah. Or replace Gabriel Jesus with Sterling and play it. Sterling yeah. as a false nine, which was something that I saw Michael Cox. It's from zonal marking, which everyone absolutely should follow. It should be religious if you like, like this sport. Uh, he said the same thing, um, basically, that everyone expected Pep to try to flood the midfield, which he sort of did. The problem is he had a just an unbelievably bad squad selection where he yeah. could have, instead of you know playing Jesus or Gundogan, he could have done a Sterling you know, false nine. And, uh, I mean, he relied on Sané and Kyle Walker to provide width. And it was just – he just got embarrassed. And he just well, looked totally toothless. Walker probably had one of his worst games that I've ever seen. And like, I've obviously watched him at Spurs for a lot of years and he's been really good for city since they brought him in for trillion. Uh, but yeah. holy balls, was he bad? Yeah, he was awful. He couldn't he do anything right on, on either side of the ball. And that really hurt city. And it hurts you that much worse. And I've seen this with Spurs many times because they also use fullbacks for width. Um, instead Any of, modern instead of team does like yeah, that is the yeah, modern yeah. game. No one plays. Yeah, exactly. But like, when they're bad, they're bad, and you run into really big problems. Well, it's, it's actually um, something that I was that I was thinking about um, with respect to the Real Madrid Spurs games from from earlier this season, where Real Madrid started eighteen uh, year old Ashraf Hakimi and at right back. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was like, "Oh, what an interesting decision!" It's like, no, this is a catastrophe. Like this kid is is going to be terrible trying to go forward and because the forwards are such an important part of the game and Spurs correctly saw that and yep. basically forced Madrid to roll through him and like he didn't give he didn't totally embarrass himself but Madrid's attack looked toothless in that match and that's part of it yep. um so let's uh <laughs> let's go on to my next topic which which is another one that just just rules uh, so the <laughs> there's always a little bit of element, Evan, when it comes to sports, of this kind of weird uh, fetishization of players' bodies. Like we see that in the ESPN body issue. We see it like in the the foot. The, I think the NFL Combine is the most obvious uh, example yeah. of that. Where, where you're they, like literally, it's like literally like a meat show, and you're like measuring people with their dude, shirts off with like fucking reporters watching. Fucking, yeah, calipers. Like you know, these people would love to go in with calipers and shit, and like it, it does feel like a little bit old school slave auctioning, and like that is a like, and I'm saying that as a criticism. It is bad, right? I would. In, in, in On the funny end, <laughs> we have what the Spanish media has done today, <laughs> publishing an amazingly thirsty-ass description of Cristiano's body, just down to, like, the, 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 the inch where they have, like, uh, after studying current data collected by Real Madrid's coach, we have determined that Cristiano has the physicality of a fit 23-year-old. His body fat is 7%. The fittest players in the world have body fat around 10%. He has 50% muscle mass in his... And, like, and they go into talking about his abs. And it's like normally others barely exceed 40%. And they have all of these thirsty like images of his, of his body. And it's just... It's so cool, Evan. It's so cool that that's where they went with this because they're all they think that like that it's not <laughs> what they're doing isn't like particularly interesting even like it's just an excuse to show a bunch of pictures of Cristiano Ronaldo with his shirt off. I mean, he is like like a Greek god. I mean, he's he is. absurd. He's a like he's I, perfectly like I, <laughs> sculpted, beautiful man. <laughs> it's unbelievable, and so that's why I have a hard time getting too mad about this. Oh, like, I'm not mad. How Jesus. can you be mad about it? It owns. <laughs> I don't, 
<laughs> his owns. Right. This isn't like the the scouting combine stuff in the NFL where I get I just get furious like listening to people talk about how like X player, you know, muscle, arm, you know, bench, whatever reps were, you know, X percentage. No, and this is just like someone doing a fucking vanity. No, it's not even van- it's Playboy spread of Cristiano Ronaldo and then giving like his his stats. And like the only thing that they like didn't even talk about is like they didn't get to dick shit, dick pic. Right, like, they didn't that's tell what him, they should do. That's the next right, step. Nobody here. measured his penis. Like that is the next step in what they're doing. Like they're talking about all this stuff, but like just do it. Just show his dick. Like right. it, <laughs> let's see it. Just whip it out. It's time. Like we we like you. If you're gonna do this, you might as well. You know, fucking just just fucking do it. Um, another amazing thing, <laughs> and this is so. This is just our series of like dumb shit that I wanted to talk about. Um, James Milner, uh, Liverpool player, um, t- tweeted one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. Uh, and no one is talking about the why. And it's just a photo of him with a, <laughs> with a measuring tape. A, t- a, t- a tape measure. And it looks like he is, he's looking intently at some, what appear to be quail eggs. Yeah. And he, and he has them sorted by color and he is measuring them to find the exact correct size of each one. I think they're probably chocolate eggs, Evan. What gets me about this is that it's so obviously a cocaine thing to do. And, like, no one is talking about that. They're like, oh, it's so cool that you're doing this, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, dude, like, this dude's, like, taking images of himself after, like, smoking a bunch of meth. And, like, he's just yep. going through the fuck. I'm going to fucking figure out exactly the right size of egg. So, you know, I was talking with a coworker of mine today about like retirement and what, you know, what, what you might do in retirement, what people should do in retirement. Like, how do you handle retirement? And I think that James Milner is handling retirement badly. <laughs> you think <laughs> the, the way to handle retirement is not to just smoke a bunch of meth and then measure chocolate Easter eggs? You know, however you get to measuring the little mini Easter eggs, whether it's meth, whether it's just boredom <laughs> and you just can't figure out what to do with yourself or anymore. I think you I think you <laughs> there's dementia. However you've gotten to the place in your life where you have sorted the pink, white, red or, or yeah, yellow. kind of like yellow and kind of a little bluish or purplish colored eggs into neat stacks and measured them with the the end of a measuring tape. Like whatever got you there, you were wrong. <laughs> I mean, okay, like, there is a level of, like, I understand that, like, obsessive-compulsive disorder is a thing, so that's not what we're making fun of, but that's not what's going on with him. I, I, I just, I know that that's not what's happening here. This is just a man who has an infinite amount of time and has, has, has begun to clearly lose, lose his mind or uh, has, has fallen into to some drugs, which, you know, fair play. Yeah, like spend the money somehow. Yeah, you gotta spend that money, and, I mean... <laughs> I mean, this rules. It's just—it's another awesome thing that happened this week um, that I wanted to talk about because it's—it's it's cool and it's cool that normal and normal that people like have photos like this that they post and and think it's totally regular. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of this story of how Deli Alley ended up at Spurs instead of Liverpool is because he was supposed to meet James Milner, who was a he was a huge James uh, Milner fan. Oh no, never mind. It's not Milner. It was yeah, never mind. Screw the story. I messed up. <laughs> it does. Okay. It does. It's no longer important. It's no longer important. Well, yeah, um, mostly everything I said was stupid because James Miller's not retired and I was just confusing him with other people. Well, OK, he's not retired, but I, I also think that 
This is a preview of what we will get from him in retirement. And even if you're not retired, whatever leads you to this place in your life is something that, you know, you you need to figure out. Yes. Don't measure Easter eggs. Don't measure Easter eggs. Don't. What are you doing? Um, All right. So on to more serious and real things. Uh, So it turns out the PSG has decided to hire... Um, Borussia Dortmund coach and really top coaching prospect, uh, Thomas Tuchel. Um, I, um, I don't like this move from PSG, not because I, um, I'm, so I'm interested in your point of view, but I, I, I don't like this move from PSG, not because, uh, I think Tuchel's a bad coach. I actually really like him. I think he's really good p- partially at developing young players, but also just generally making a team that plays quite, quite well. Um, but he, the problem with PSG is not that, you know, some of the, it's not some of the issues that someone like Tuchel would come in to solve. Like he'd be a great hire at, I think like Manchester United, but he's, what he's not a great hire is a team that's like right there and just needs someone who's a really steady hand and with proven experience in Europe to come in uh, and just guide them to that promised land. Right. Like I said, I mean, like obviously they already had Ancelotti. I thought he was the obvious choice, but I also thought that perhaps you know, Zidane would be the choice if he were fired at the end of this season for Madrid, which is looking increasingly unlikely. Uh, but like, I don't, I just don't get it. I, I think that you've got to go with uh, maybe a, a steadier hand, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But like, they brought in who, the the Spanish version of Tuchel, right? In uh, 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 their current coach, uh, after who had led Sevilla to the Europa League twice in a row. Uh, and that hasn't worked out particularly well for them. So we'll see. I'm, I'm interested, but what, what, how do you feel about this? No, I agree with you. So like Tuchel for me seems like the project guy. Like if you want to yeah. have a project over multiple seasons to like build something and that implies that you don't already expect to pretty much be where you're going to be. Yeah. Um, you're not already expecting to compete like right now you're expecting to compete in a few years. So like a team like Arsenal would make a lot of sense oh, yeah. for him. Right. Where you like, okay, we need to kind of tear this down and and rebuild it over a course of seasons for PSG. I totally agree. Like they they have the players that they think should have them competing for titles right now. You know who I just realized the answer is? And I know it's dumb. Yeah, it's Mourinho. Go get Mourinho. Yeah, Mourinho would be actually probably be perfect, right? And and he has the and and he fits the biggest box I think you need, which is the cachet, you know, from past proven success to get the big time players to freaking listen to you. Yeah. Um, you know, to get Neymar to listen to you a little bit and try to put something together. Um, you know, that, that kind of trust is, is, you you know, that comes from having won the champions league before. And so, and, and won a lot of other titles before. And so bringing a guy like Mourinho and Ancelotti, the, these guys made more sense to me. Um, but you know, when the emir of Qatar decides that he wants to hire Tuchel, which is apparently what fucking happened here, the president of a <laughs> fucking, I'm sorry, the monarch of a goddamn country decided who the coach of PSG would be, um, I guess you go with that guy or you get, like, fucking executed. Right, or they seize your family, right? Like, right. that's what's going, what's going to happen. Right, next, next thing you know, you get, a, you, know, you get the perfectly diplomatic email saying your passport's been canceled, you need to return to Qatar immediately. Right, well, actually, and, like, I was going to end with this, but I think now that we're mentioning him, uh, the other thing that he can do is, uh, for some insane reason, uh, you know, give a call to whoever owns the, you know, Copa, Copa America, and just say, hey, check it out, we're in this now. Yes, that's right. He can, he, you know, when (laughs) that's apparently a power that he has 
um, when you are swimming in oil money. Yeah. So what we're mentioning is that Qatar is one of the invited guest countries to the uh, Copa America, which is the you're not mishearing that. That is the North American and South American regional tournament like the Euro Cup. But apparently they've decided I don't really understand, Evan. They decided so, to expand it to well, uh, invites. Yeah. So what it is, is they've always had some invites, um, particularly Mexico, who competes like all the time. And they had gone up to 16 for the Centenario. And I think everyone liked that format quite a bit. And they, it's because they, I, I think the feeling is just that, you know, below 10 or you know, more than 10 from, um, you know, from the South American Federation and it dilutes, but they can invite better sides from around the world and have this really good tournament. Like that's the idea. So everyone wants to recreate the Centenario. Um, which made a lot of money, which is all I was ever supposed to do. Um, and so they'll, they're going to they're going to invite two or three Concacaf uh, teams, and then like two, uh, three Comorable teams, so Asia teams. Um, <sighs> looks like looks like no European teams. And by the way, they've invited European teams before. Just do the World uh, Cup then. That's what I don't understand. Uh, like, you know what else uh, makes a lot of money is the World Cup. So like, if you want to do this stupid shit, just do and like. A private World Cup, which is what this would well, be. So, so some people thought some people thought what it might turn into is the uh, the losers World Cup that <laughs> um, that like was briefly floated when the U.S. misses. Like, what if you get the U.S., the Netherlands, Italy, and Chile together for like a little tournament? And it's like, oh, Chile is going to be at, at the Copa, and the U.S. is reportedly invited. And what if you sent the Netherlands and oh, Italy an invite, and like, hey, come play this fucking tournament? Uh, but it looks like no European teams are going to be um, invited this time. And they have been invited in the past. So I think Spain and it may be Italy, but Spain for sure has been invited um, and either accepted or either declined or accepted and later pulled out because of uh, uh, scheduling conflicts. The U.S. may or may not be able to do it, by the way, um, because it's almost exactly the same time as the Gold Cup. And so they'd probably have to have two separate rosters. Well, I hope they do. They should roll out some absolute I mean, if that's true, doesn't Mexico have the same problem? Yeah, I, I, they do, and I think Mexico has done it before. Mexico has, a, you know, admittedly a much deeper squad than the U.S. Well, I mean, yeah, the U.S. could run out that absurd U23 team that we saw just last week and uh, then sends, you know, some over-the-hill shitbags uh, down to play in whatever tournament they don't like as much. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be interesting to see which one you prioritize. I think you have to prioritize the CONCACAF Gold Cup because that's your best chance to win and get in the Confederations Cup, which I guess theoretically is your goal because I guess you're supposed to care about the Confederations Cup. Well, then maybe you do the like established MLS team to that and then mm -hmm. send the actual people that we think are going to be good to, the, to get the real experience playing against like Brazil and Messi and great teams like Qatar. Yeah. Yeah, great, you know, world powers who have, and you know what's best about Qatar is that it brings so many additional eyeballs to the tournament oh, yeah. That's that it. It, really bring, it really brings a lot of extra value because Qatar is such a large country with so many soccer viewers who watch South American soccer. Right, and they definitely don't have anyone there whose passports have been taken away and live in slums without TVs. Um, so, speaking of uh, hilarious international shit, uh, <laughs> Russia is um and we've mentioned this before there's also a, b a bunch of terrible shit going down with russia because there always is but recently uh u.s and uk governments have expelled a number of russian diplomats and whatever in relation to the poisoning of an ex 
Russian. It, it, it's all terrible. But the funniest thing about all of this is that uh, reportedly the R- Russian foreign secretary has made the comment that the only reason that the U.S. and U.K. are taking these actions, Evan, and, and you know, it makes some, some amount of sense, is that they want the World Cup taken away from Russia. I do want the World Cup taken away from Russia. That, but, I agree. <laughs> but, I mean, that would be good, actually. Um, but it's also very stupid to think that it's just, it is just actually asinine to the point of ludicrousness to think that like the re only reason why the British care about the Russians literally trying to assassinate a former intelligence agent, like in a British bar with nerve gas is because they want the, the fucking world cup. No, I mean like, obviously this is just some sort of, you know, insane thing that, that they're trying to say. I I mean, like, I, I, I don't really, I mean, I think it's just like another way of trying to flip the script and make people maybe forget about the fact that they literally tried to kill someone with like sarin gas in a, in a fucking pub in Sussex or whatever. But like, yeah. Uh, and yeah, t- you know, ultimately if that's why they're doing this, it's dumb, but you know, the U S and UK governments aren't particularly smart right now. And it would be doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Getting rid of the world cup from Russia is the right thing to do. So if this is why they're doing it, it's dumb, but it's also good. (laughs) And honestly, Russia's like Russia's statement here, actually, like their attempt to use this as diplomatic leverage is exactly why you can't give prestige tournaments to terrible human rights disasters. Right, exactly. It's 100 percent why countries like Russia and Qatar just can't fucking have World Cups. Exactly. Um, All right. Last last thing, because and and I think we may have mentioned this already, but we, we have to talk about Zlatan. Um, and this is our last stop before we roll into this Keon interview. Um, so Zlatan Ibrahimovic, our favorite, um, collectively our favorite player um, and favorite human and just generally favorite um, person in the world who took out a full page ad in the L.A. Times that just said, Los Angeles, you're welcome, signed Zlatan, uh, showed up in L.A. to play for the Galaxy, came on while the Galaxy were losing uh, – they were losing what three to two, three nothing when he came on. Wow. Okay, so they were losing three nothing. I didn't actually get to watch anything other than his well, what he did. What he did was he came on and promptly scored two amazing goals. The first one was a forty yard absolute screamer. I mean, he's really good. He scored a bunch of goals last year in the Premier League. He's gonna be the best player in MLS, and that's cool. That and yeah. that rules. Like if you put the over under on twenty goals for him, I'm taking the over like hard. Yeah, he's I gonna mean, be so good. I think you'd have to for me, you'd have to put the over under on twenty nine goals, and that's the yeah. old. At that point, I'd still probably take the over. He is so yeah. good. People and okay, so the fact that we're both saying this and agreeing this makes uh, the take that we're about to discuss that much stupider. Which is um, Miguel Delaney of the Independent, uh, who. <laughs> who covers, you know, European football. So, of course, he has this take, but basically he said uh, it's surely an indictment of MLS that a crocked Zlatan could do this on his debut. And first of all, it for, like the idea that Zlatan was totally at his peak and really good last year, but now is suddenly bad is absolute bogus nonsense. And second of all, Miguel Delaney knows nothing about MLS and he can genuinely go fuck himself for this. Yeah. Like this is dumb. 
Yeah, Zlatan was arguably the best striker in the in in the Premier League while he was healthy last year. Like it's like he could you could have that conversation. He's certainly in the conversation for best striker um, until he hurt himself. He was an absolute terror in the Premier League um, and absolutely carried United the entire year. Um, and he has no response to the fact that one of Zlatan's goals was a like was like a fucking forty yard missile. Like it wasn't about yeah. MLS. It was about this <laughs> this unstoppable strike from way way out that is the kind of shit that Zlatan can do and almost no one else can. Yeah, yeah. So he so someone brings that up. He's like, well, you know, um, yeah, because the shittiness of the league plays a part in scoring worldy from forty yards. And he responds, "Of course it does. Look at the space around him and the lack of pressure in the occasion. You know why there's not that much pressure? Because no one expects you to fucking shoot from forty yards away." Yeah, and and they say, "Well, fine, we'll give." I mean, like that's a smart yeah, take defensive that shot. St- strategy. <laughs> we will let Zlatan take that shot. The problem is that he's Zlatan, so he fucking scores it. Like I just. I, I, it's, and it was it's, like it was like a half volley too. It was stupid. It was such. It was so like it was so stupid. Good to indict that. It's kind of like if you were to say like we you know to to bring it full circle. If you were to say ah well you know if if Buffon had somehow read Ronaldo's mind that he was going to do a bicycle kick and jumped in the you know in that corner maybe he could have saved it. And so he's a bad keeper. I can't tell if this is a joke actually because I'm seeing that it was on April first and and he's getting kind of ratioed but like. I don't. I like. He's responding to everyone. No, yeah, he's arguing it in seriousness. So like, it, because it just it doesn't make it's so out of nowhere and doesn't make sense. And I, I I actually generally take him seriously as an analyst, but this is just such a pathetically badly thought out take that it's hard to believe that he is take is he's being serious. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking looking through his comments. It's it's a whole bunch of just shitting on MLS. He's talking about how be- much better uh, Davi Villa's touches than everyone else's, and um, how he's you know his Latin's nowhere near the world's greatest now. He was in 2012, not 2018, because of the injury. And it's not trolling. I quote Miguel uh, Delaney. So he's you know he's said he's serious, and you know you, you're right. It's just it's it really is just a lot of unnecessary shitting on MLS, which is obviously not as good as the Premier League. But you and, and yes, you put a player as good as Latan or as good as Davi Villa in that league, they're going to shine. That's like the whole point. But they were going to do well in the Premier League too, right? And like like we said, Latan scored a bunch of goals in the Premier League last season. Davi Villa played in the Champions League final for Atletico Madrid before he came to NYCFC. He would start comfortably on most teams in La Liga and the EPL. Both uh, both of these players would like, and and there are a number of other MLS players who would as well. Giovinco, I think, is one of them. Uh, there uh, and a number of the players on Atlanta United would be comfortable comfortably playing. Uh, in starting roles in, in La Liga or, or, or EPL and certainly in like France or, or Belgium or whatever. Yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm tired of this. Like, because this whole, the whole point of our podcast, and it's cool that we've gotten to this point, Evan, because the whole point of this podcast was sort of us getting into MLS and following it a little bit more. The the reaction that I'm having to this is is cool for me because maybe even a year ago, I would have been one of these players, the people that would roll my eyes at this. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I think it's right to get a little bit defensive. Um, I'm not and, anymore, though. I'm fucking no, on team. Yeah. I'm team Zlatan, no, that, team MLS also. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, as MLS fans, I think we have a right to be a little defensive about this guy coming in being a douche nozzle yeah. um, about it, where before people might have shrugged their shoulders and be like, eh, yeah, MLS kind of sucks. Now it's like, well, you know, maybe it's just more that Zlatan was really good. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. So with that, that's your um, uh, our, ch- our segment for today. Uh, I will roll us into my um, interview with Keon. It's quite it's quite interesting. Apologies again for the audio quality. That is basically on me. Keon sounds great. So my bad, everybody. But enjoy the enjoy the interview. And Evan, we'll talk next week. Yeah, man. Catch you later. All right, welcome back. This is our pre-recorded interview segment. Um, I am joined by my uh, very good friend and co-host of the Managing Madrid podcast, making his crossover crossover debut on Let's Week Football, Keon Silvani. Keon, welcome. Welcome to this show. Thanks, man. I'm excited to make my LFF debut. Absolutely. It'd be crossover. Crossover. It would be kind of it'd be kind of cool if like we were we had our own studio so like there was a managing Madrid studio and we were doing that every day and then and then I come over to this Let's Fix Football studio and I could be like wow this is a great studio but it's Hell really, yeah. it's really it just was... not real physical places so we can't do that unfortunately no it's just yeah. literally just Skype um, <clears throat> talking to each other on Skype <laughs> this is a um, it's actually interestingly the second Magic Madrid crossover uh, in a row because obviously last week I had Oman right um, to talk about uh, all the different stuff that that was going on just kind of generally tactically with Real Madrid and and, and kind of pre-analyze all the different matchups in addition to uh, that he had we had our friend Teddy Malio from my, my high school days, huge Liverpool fan on and uh, I just want to shout out Ohm extremely wrong prediction uh, although he did say Klopp would give Guardiola a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a run for his money. Um, what was his I will prediction? Also, well I, I mean no one predicted what ended up happening and you're on the show today Kian, because you wrote a great article for 442 and um, uh, which I'm plugging, which we'll plug in the show notes, um, how Jurgen Klopp became Pep Guardiola's kryptonite. And I, I have a, just a lot of you know, things to, to discuss with you about this, but I think that the best way to just kind of get into it is for you to just kind of run down what exactly went down in that uh, Manchester City-Liverpool <laughs> match, man. Well, I'll start off by saying that I, before this game, first of all, actually, first of all, the first thing I'll say is this. Liverpool's, Liverpool fans were not necessarily happy with my article because they really felt like I was jinxing it and something and they're super paranoid the ones I've talked to they'll be like <laughs> you know what we have to score an away goal because there's, we're for sure conceding five in <laughs> it's hot and it's like man like I can totally relate to that paranoia as a fan of you know just being a fan of any sport you, you always think about worst right. case scenario right <clears throat> um but I feel good about their chances, and I felt good about their chances before the first leg too. Because to me, interesting. To me, and I remember doing a mailbag. I, I was solo that night. It was a it was a patron mailbag for Managing Madrid, and sure. I was kind of ranking my order for like who would want to face Liverpool was pretty high up there, and and it was because I had seen what they did to City earlier in the season. And <clears throat> if you ask me, I think my ideal like matchups would like in just to just to let the other big teams kind of fight it amongst themselves would have been City against Barca obviously because then we would have seen one of them out for sure and then possibly wounding each other a little bit who knows but right but my next second one would be probably would have been Liverpool and City and it's because I knew that I mean Guardiola is an amazing coach but 
he struggled against Klopp in the past. I mean, he had that 5-0 over him earlier in the season, but Mane had a red card. They were, they were playing 10 men for the majority of that game. And then the the return leg at Anfield, they just blew them out of the water. And the only reason it became 4-3 at the end was because they just kind of uh, took their foot off the pedal and they and they... And Sané was great that night, and City scored some late goals. But I think what they did in this game, Gabe, that mm-hmm. they to even improve on it, they defended better in the second half, but also they completely kept Sané in check. And Sané was the one guy in that previous matchup that was able to break Liverpool's lines and, and press a bit and get behind because of his creativity, because of his unpredictability, because of his dribbling. And I got to tell you... Uh, Arnold just put him in his pocket, and I thought he that did. was the coolest thing about this whole thing. And one of the things that you look at when you see like the passing maps and some of the other, you know, just kind of general high-level stat stuff here is that City didn't seem to t- take that much out of their um, defeat against Liverpool in the first, like the first time they faced mm-hmm. them, right? And and what Guardiola seemed to decide to do was roll with. Uh, uh, a, a formation that basically isolated Sané far up the pitch. And if you look at these passing maps, basically Gabriel Jesus, David Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne basically are in the same circle in the center of the pitch with uh, Sané far, far up the left. And it's fascinating, Cam, because uh, when, when you look at that, what it actually brings to mind are these kind of old-school English sides that used to have these kind of a huckster uh, huge nines that they would just blast the ball up to and hope that they got behind people. And it, 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 it's interesting to me because that, you know, Guardiola is such a tactical genius, but to actually look at this map, you'd think that instead of like you know, one of the greatest tactical lines and, and really the inventor of uh, this kind of specific type of modern football who was, you know, creating a team, you would think that he was like Harry Redknapp with like Peter Crouch playing forward. Yeah, I think. And it's interesting you say that about Pep too, like kind of like how he set them up. And I don't know if it was done in, entirely intentionally, but like you met, you mentioned kind of like the weird imbalance of the team and, you know, the nine up front, the people in the middle. Having Gundogan there instead of Sterling was interesting because Gundogan's mm-hmm. just going to naturally tuck in and he's not going to stay as a right winger. And you saw that with the passing maps. You saw that with the heat maps. <clears throat> It was just, it felt congested. Right. And you had De Bruyne, Gundogan, and uh, who else was in the middle? You, Silva. Like Silva and... De Bruyne, Fernandinho. I Fernandinho, mean, like sorry, all... Fernandinho was the other. And that's, they were all kind of like just trapped in the middle and they really didn't have outlets. And then I think it got to a point where it really hit them mentally. And that was what I started the article off with, is that after a bunch of high pressing where City couldn't, you know, just kind of struggle getting at the back, um, they looked unnerved, and yeah. it got to a point where there were moments where Liverpool kind of just hedged off and stopped pressing a little bit, and De Bruyne would just give the ball away because he just looked a bit shook by the whole occasion because you know the stadium was rocking. And I really feel like I I said this in an article for four four two before the game started that sometimes when when like peak Klopp when he's playing at home and the players look like they're on steroids and they're pressing high. If you, it feels like they each have like earpieces on, blasting like heavy metal music, and they're just. <laughs> it feels like really aggressive, like no, really it, it furious, does. and and kind of terrifying. And it, like, I, 
I actually remember either writing an article personally or reading an article that we wrote about back in the day about Klopp's um, Borussia Dortmund and calling it just heavy metal football. And like, that's exactly what we were watching in this match. Yeah. And it takes a lot to make a Guardiola team frustrated and and kind of just have anxiety about playing the ball out of the back because if there's anyone who can do it theoretically it's a team like Guardiola's who kind of they have great positioning everything from their goal kicks are precisely like detailed they know where it's going they know like they know how to get out of press they couldn't and I think right why to me one of the solutions and what he he kind of learned from the 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 earlier loss to to club was that to avoid the situation altogether, he kind of needs to just pin Liverpool deep and have possession high right. up the pitch. And he did that at the beginning of the game. But then he kind of, Liverpool just kind of like, they kind of grew into the game. They go, came out of their shell and they pressed high. And what I think they do really well is Salah and Firmino and Mane, they force City to play out wide to the fullbacks and they take Fernandinho out of the equation. And if you go back in history... What is like the recipe where when Guardiola suffers these defeats? And by the way, they traditionally do happen in big games, like in the semifinals or whatnot. His track record is not perfect by any means in that in those situations. They take the defensive midfielder out of the equation, whether it's Fernandinho right. or Busquets. If you've cut off that supply chain and force them out wide, they struggle. And and I thought Liverpool did that really well. They did. They they also. I mean, it, it's one of these interesting things because you know the Guardiola strategy historically has also been to play a very tight and compact press high up the pitch right and to try to pin people so it was interesting to to watch liverpool basically flip that script around on guardiola and just say look we're gonna we're gonna come at you as much as you think you can come at us um and we've seen that work i mean one of the things i remember very vividly and maybe this is another interesting um you know they're interesting parallels that, I mean, maybe it's not just exactly Guardiola's Barcelona, but like, you know, one of the things that Karim Benzema really brought to Real Madrid is also this ability to, that Firmino has to play almost as a extremely versatile forward and while, while, while running this press as well. And Guardiola's or like the Barcelona team has traditionally struggled against Karim Benzema. He's played very well traditionally in uh, the Clásico. And I thought Firmino had a great game today for for Liverpool, and if you combine that with Salah, who's you know one of the most uh, exciting and one of the most powerful uh, players, you know running a counterattack, I mean you really do have a recipe for hammering a Guardiola side, just like Real Madrid did in 20, uh, 2014 against that uh, against that uh, Bayern side. Yeah, and I think while most teams approach that kind of style like with just sitting in a deep lock, deep low block because. Traditionally, you think that this is the best way to, to stop them. And I think, to be fair to a lot of those teams, is that they have the resources to, to only play that way. I think mm-hmm. if you have the resources to play the way Liverpool did, I I don't know why more teams don't take a page out of it. And, you know, like someone like Mourinho, who we always complain about, like, man, with the resources you have, you should be playing pretty high standard of football which you yeah. generally don't. And, uh, <laughs> and, and like, it, I mean, he doesn't have any money, you know, no, like that's true. Yeah, like everyone bring... else is spending all this money on great players. And it's what true. is he supposed to do? Like they bring in these terrible, like shit players that he just scrubs. has to put on the bench, like scrubs, like Paul yeah. Pogba. Yeah. 
No, it's true. You got to sympathize with that. Um, I think, you know, I I think that you know Barca is kind of the same way. They're kind of they're wired the same way, um, <clears throat> for obvious reasons. And in in some ways, like I remember uh, Chavi talking about this, whom we all love. Um, not a controversial person at all and very well no, beloved all. among all circles. He's a really regular, normal yeah. guy that we all love. Yeah, very cool. Um, talking about this idea that Barcelona would actually welcome pressers. They would, like, it was part of their plan to suck attackers in deep. And then that way they, they knew they were good enough to break the press. And then once you get behind that initial press, then there's a ton of space to exploit and i thought like for example like a recent example Chavi is so cool that's so <laughs> that's such a dumb ridiculous thing to say i love i love him well, sorry go ahead well I, I i don't think it's inconceivable that they have done that i just think that if your press is organized enough that you should you will totally make them uncomfortable and liverpool have proven right. that and a bunch of teams by the way have proved that even like real madrid who whenever they press barca high they've always like put them under pressure They've coughed up possession. They've made mistakes this season, by the way, Barcelona. I, I complained about this. Yesterday, I had Jeremy on of Into the Calderon, Jeremy Barron, to preview the Madrid Derby on the Managing Madrid podcast. Great friend of our side. Yeah, yeah great guy. Side, by the way. He's and been I on com- the show many times. I complained to him how much... Uh, it's bothering me how much no one is... No one is... Um, no one has punished Barca this season, despite how bad their transition defense is, despite how bad their defense has been. And uh, I just, I was, an, I'm, I'm annoyed by it. I feel like at some point they gotta, they gotta like be due for some someone punishing them because they get away with a lot. And if it didn't happen against Sevilla away there, I just, I just maybe it'll never happen. I don't know. Maybe they're like the Real Madrid of last season that they just win no matter what happens in, on the pitch. Yeah, um, perhaps. Um, I mean, so I just wanted to, 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 to get into a couple other aspects. Obviously, the most important battle, and I think the one that you correctly focused on in this match, was uh, the Sunday versus Arnold uh, fight down that right wing. And yeah. Arnold is 19 years old. He just absolutely kept Sunday in, 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 in total check. And I just, I'm a little bit surprised because he didn't just look like you know, someone having a good game. He looked like absolutely the better player. Like he had him in his pocket. And yeah. I'm just wondering, like, do you feel like this was coming with him? Because like in previous matches, he hadn't played particularly well. And in fact, Sunday had gotten basically the better of him in the previous matchup. Well, um, he he wasn't in great form heading into this match, and uh, we gotta we gotta remember he's only 19. So I I didn't say I saw it coming because I'm a huge Sané fan, and I and I specifically said like. I, I completely got, by the way, why City seemed to like shoehorn him the ball every time. Because in the last matchup in Anfield, Sané was the one who was breaking the lines, and he's a great player. We we know this about Sané; like he's no, a phenomenal yeah, he, he player. absolutely is. Yeah. So I don't think anybody saw it coming, especially against a nineteen-year-old. And and Arnold was, you know, I some of the defensive sequences of him guarding Sané were incredible. And Sané, like, there were instances where he was one-on-one with Arnold and uh, he tried everything in his in his toolbox and he just couldn't. And he, could, he couldn't beat him. And Arnold, like, read him like a book and he also joined the attack. I thought, by the way, like, Robertson on, on the opposite flank has also been a revelation for them and he also played well. But considering that 
Arnold was the one who was being tested constantly, like, and he passed all of his tests. I think that that is what made him a standout. I totally agree with that. I mean, it, it, I think that one of the things that we were talking, I mean, we, we, we look at this passing map, right? And we can link to it again. I'll put this up on the site. But you look at this passing map, and what, what is clear to me from this, in addition to, like, the joke I made earlier right, about this being just Harry Redknapp, but, like, this is clear that in Guardiola's mind, he looked at this Liverpool side defensively and said, this kid, Arnold, is their weak link. We are going to play our game through the left. Because Sané, obviously, you know, is a winger, but he, I mean – he's pegged to that left wing and their entire strategy seems to be playing these long diagonal balls to Sunday to pick on this, uh, this kid who uh, they decided. And I think not crazily was the weak link in this defensive line. And instead, right. He ended up being arguably the best player in the match. Yeah. Um, It's pretty fan, pretty amazing. Isn't it? I, I think if, if Liverpool blow this now, I, <laughs> they're all gonna blame you you know right if they if i mean they, they can we talk about it i feel like they if they blow this then I, i'm kind of just i don't know it, it's gonna come to a point where like where it's like you know when when thanos and the avengers just like comes down to earth and he's like i'll do it myself and it's that zidane <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's. I mean, I, I let's also mention that, like, obviously, this being at Anfield and the fact that I mean, two things. First of all, Guardiola's side, right? This this Manchester City side goes into Anfield and creates no shots on target and point five expected goals. This yeah. is this isn't just like Liverpool was clinical and they were. They didn't just run a bunch of. Right, counterattacks and yeah. and and finish well. They dominated from top to bottom, and I think one of the things that I also took away from this match is how good just a number of these Liverpool defenders really are. Like Virgil van Dijk, he's the real deal in a level that I mean, we yeah. made fun of Liverpool buying yeah. him for that absurd amount of money, but actually, he looked incredible. <laughs> if I mean, if you if 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 fans could just separate what the price tag is for any signing and just focus on the football, which is difficult to do, rightfully so, because some deals are just not good. But he's <laughs> he's been very good for them. And um, yeah. the expected goals thing is crazy. The, the zero shots on goal is crazy. The fact that they had a lot of possessions, but only one pass made it into the Liverpool's box in the first half is crazy. Um, basically, this game was just a lot of recycling possession of comp- between Company and Otamendi, and yep. just struggling to find anything I mean, else. These, these, this passing map for the, that I've now mentioned for the billionth time, the the lines between Otamendi and Company yeah. are huge, they're, and they're huge. You thick. can't you can't even get around staring at that. So, um, all right, last last question on this because I did want quickly to talk about you know the one thing that we. Uh, talk about all the time, which is Real Madrid. But I do want to talk about this one last thing. Uh, after this match, do you feel like Liverpool are legitimate contenders to win the Champions League this year? Yes. I think it would be un. I put it this way: I think it'd be unfair for us to say they aren't, because they they kind of deserve that kind of recognition, unless they blow it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then obviously they but, won't be. But if they, they if they anymore. see through to the semifinal, I think it would be. I think it'd be unfair for us to say they aren't. Um, let's not forget they also have DNA, and historically, also like they they haven't had to be perfect. Just like Real Madrid, they haven't had to be perfect domestically to win European trophies. They have yep. 
in my opinion, a top three to four player in in Salah, and yep. surrounded by a bunch of highly com- compatible and capable players yep. who are co- cohesive and they get along and they're very unified and they buy into what Klopp is telling them. I, yep. I, I I'll I'll tell you this, Gabe. Like I don't know how you feel, but. As a Real Madrid fan, I would be kind of worried facing against them. I don't know, like how Casemiro deals with that kind of press. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean it's it is kind of scary. You would think that maybe looking at this match, Zidane might move towards, you know, maybe doing a double pivot, including Kovacic, just to try to absorb some of that. But I mean, I'm <laughs> we're getting a little ahead ahead of ourselves, especially considering last season. I mean, like let's be clear, last year we saw one of the great comebacks. In Champions League history, so it's not insane that the Liverpool fans would be pissed off at you for for maybe jinxing yeah, <laughs> the Barca fair stuff, enough. but they would need to fluke into having a really bad referee. Plus, if you remember correctly, like this is three goals at home where Manchester City scored none, right? So Manchester City yeah. does not have a single away goal. Yeah. And let's be clear, like all we need this Liverpool side, it's going to be hard to keep them off the board. So, I mean, there's a reason that they're wildly favorites to go through despite Manchester City obviously winning. I just wanted one last thing I wanted to shout out. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Evan and I have already talked about this on this show. So this will be – but this is the first time I've mentioned it today, like literally. Uh, Shout out to our man, Regis Stability, who tweeted right before this match match started, uh, which is true to be fair. Pep Guardiola's had two weeks to prepare this lineup, expect something special. And if you think about it, that's exactly <laughs> right, because the league might very well be wrapped up tomorrow yeah. for City. Like, yeah. they are going to win the Premier League. But Guardiola had just an immense amount of time to think about this lineup, and this is what he produced. Um, not only... <laughs> um, no comment on who, what the guy you just mentioned, but... He... No comment on reduced ability, really. That's no, surprising. no, no comment. He's a great account. Um... <laughs> he's a great. He's a great account. Everyone should follow him. He rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, he he's thought about this a lot clearly, also since that loss, because that was a humbling loss for him, and he doesn't go through those often. So when lapses happen, he obviously takes note, and we know Guardiola is a great coach. Like, there's no question. I just, um, I think that. What Liverpool? I first of all, I, I do think that this whole like club kryptonite thing is 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 real because it's we have a track record. It's not a two game sample size; it's a thirteen game sample size. Where over yep. the course of all this, club has continually got found ways to get the best of him, and I think, and I think that's a testament to him. And I, to because if Guardiola has a bunch of cracks at him, and he's a genius coach himself. It's kind of unfair to Klopp to be like, well, Guardiola just got it wrong. But Klopp really got it right. And if, if Klopp yep. gets it right, that's hard to play against. And if you can't figure it out, then I think that says a lot about Liverpool and Klopp. Absolutely. Um, all right. Um, let's just give – I'm going to give our listeners a few minutes on Real Madrid just just uh, to preview. If you like what we have to say in the next five, ten minutes, mm-hmm. you're going to love Real, the Madrid Madrid podcast. I encourage you to subscribe. Yes. yes. Um, all right, Kian. Real Madrid goes to Turin. Um, in a two-legged tie, this is not this is not a you know historically good uh, tie for Real Madrid. In like two-legged ties against no. Italian teams, don't tuck, don't normally go well. Madrid really doesn't get good results in Italy, and they win three to nothing with arguably, and I've been pushing this poll, arguably the greatest goal 
in the history of the Champions League from Cristiano Ronaldo. I well, <laughs> let me. Can I can I answer your question with just a question? It's what was your reaction to that goal? Where were you? What were you doing? I was watching on my family's <laughs> TV in Madrid with my like half or three quarter blind <laughs> grandfather, and I just started yelling. And he was like, "Why? What's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> But I just I stood up and just started yelling and running around the apartment and everyone, you know, because they were kind of doing other stuff, came and was like, "What's going on? Are you okay?" It was like, <laughs> "Oh yes, you have to come look at this." It's pretty remarkable, and I mentioned this to Matt on the Wednesday Patron podcast. I, it really felt like there was right before Ronaldo scored, there was a huge stretch of time where Juventus kind of was outplaying us and. The timeliness of that goal, and it, it's incredible how one moment changes things because it yeah. wasn't just, it wasn't just an ordinary goal. It was a Juventus defensive mistake after a good spell from them, and then it was capped off by one of the greatest Champions League goals in history, which is deflat, which completely flattens them, and then followed by a red card. And like, yep, like man, like how quickly football swings. It's yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, and let's also mention really quickly, right? This is the second like Barcelona target who lost his head. This is with Paulo Dybala going nuts and getting a red card. Second one after Verratti against Real Madrid in the previous round. Yeah, uh, it's look. This is this is a Real Madrid fans' dream game. There were a lot of issues, I think, tactically, which we'll break down more on the podcast, like on the actual Man Madrid podcast. Yeah. But I, I do think the return of the diamond and especially the um, impressive role of Isco is going to be crucial. Like Isco himself, excuse me, is going to be crucial down the stretch just because, you know, when he was struggling earlier this season and even got benched, Madrid was struggling earlier this season even, and, and, and to have him come back and not just have him come back with this level of, you know, to have him come back with this level of play, Isco did not lose a pass in this match. Yeah. No, he didn't. And I think that has dominoes, domino effects because Kroos also had one of his best games yep. of the season. And he was incredible. Good. Like, uh, he had the most touches of anyone on the field. He was a constant outlet. He was a constant, like, just pressure-resistant player who helped Real Madrid get out of those tight spaces. He had two key passes. Uh, he had that shot off the bar. Like, I thought... And I thought what was interesting about, like, if you compare this diamond um, to, like, we played a diamond uh, away to Celta and Balaidos and how chaotic that diamond was at that time because Kroos was high up the field and Casemiro was high up the field and both of them were high up the field while Marcelo was in, like, the final third and zero people playing on the left. This was far more balanced. Like like you said, there were tactical problems. And I actually thought our shape wasn't great and you kind of saw that mass because... To me, three defensive players had an incredible game. One, Kaylor Navas. Oh, my God. Yeah. One, one Sergio Ramos, one Rafael Varane. Those three, I thought, really masked some yeah. issues. But um, I'll also say that I thought, you know, Kroos, like, it's backed up by the heat map, too. He played much deeper than he usually does, yep. which helped as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I also, I, I, yeah. I'll also add that I think that Allegri did not do a great job with his own tactical setup and responding to the diamond, especially because you know, dropping to a five, three, two, which became a, you know, a three, five, two, et cetera. But like really it, it left Madrid with a level of control in midfield that was extremely 
the opposite way to play a Real Madrid squad that's featuring a Casemiro as single defensive midfielder. So, mm-hmm. like, you would see these moments where a I think a smart team would be pressing Madrid and trying to trying to overrun the midfield, but where Allegri's team was sort of dropping to make sure that they had numbers in defense and. Madrid's big weakness is Casemiro, which is why this, the potential matchup against Liverpool is kind of scary. But it's also why in this match, uh, I felt like Madrid had so much control in the, er, in the midfield itself, just because uh, it didn't seem like Allegri like, did, did his best to actually exploit this particular weakness on Madrid. And with Kroos and you know, Zidane telling, clearly telling Kroos and Modric to drop back to make sure that there was you know, enough defensive coverage and enough outlets... You know, it, it, it actually just looked like Madrid had a tremendous amount of time and space in midfield when they had the ball. Yeah, I think that's interesting because even when we, we looked at the spells that Juve had, and I thought like from, I don't know, midway through the first half to to the point where Ronaldo scored that goal, <laughs> you had they had a bunch of they had a bunch of good spells and but then you, you kind of look at it, they didn't they also didn't really threaten in that spell either. And so um, apart from like set pieces where Kaylor stepped up and saved it, and and you know we've had some good challenges, you know in the final third, I think the expected goals also kind of proved that, and Real right. Madrid's were just consistently better. And and also the other thing, Juve didn't defend particularly well. Um, no, that's, that's and that's that's a huge aspect of this, right? Because this yeah. this Juve team isn't the same team as last season, where they had that you know, essentially unbreakable defense until Madrid broke it. Um, this is a Juve team that is much leakier, especially after losing, um, uh, what's his name, to, to Milan. Bonucci, yeah. Bonucci, yeah. <clears throat> I, the other thing is that one of the, and I, ri- I wrote about this before the game, one of Allegri's, like, kind of tricks is when, when Juve are not able to have a proper build-up, and they were a bit slow in their build-up, I thought, against Real Madrid when Real Madrid weren't really in shape and they could have taken advantage and they, they kind of, they didn't, they weren't quick enough in their build-up. Uh, one of, their, one of Allegri's, Allegri's tricks is that he brings Chiellini from the back as a ball carrier. And that's, if you remember the game against Tottenham, yeah. uh, Harry Kane marked Chiellini really well. And then he stopped doing that in the second half. And that's where Juve's winning goal came from. Chiellini wide open pass from the back to Iguain, Iguain to Dybala, and then that was the winning goal. And I thought Zidane actually recognized that really well because Chiellini had yep. the most touches of, of any Juventus player, but his passing accuracy was one of the worst. And they just were able to block off all his passing lanes and make it uncomfortable for him. And I thought that was pretty underrated element as well. It's a hugely underrated element and a real shocker, at least when I was watching it. I was shocked by how well that worked, considering that yeah. the the diamond has historically, again, just to, to reiterate, has historically been Madrid's, like this has been Madrid's weakness in the diamond, yeah. right? Where yeah. they, they're not able to cut off the passing lanes particularly well. I, I actually want to shout out, um, I think Modric and Crows both were really responsible for this particular element of this match because of... You know, we we on on the managing Madrid show cam, we talk a lot about um, how good Modric is as a defensive player and for his defensive instincts. And I thought that shown through today. And I wanted to mention it on Leicester's football because we don't talk about it that much, and we don't talk about how good he is as just you know world best uh, central midfielder, but also just this incredibly strong and important presence in Real Madrid's defensive setup. Yes, and um, it's funny. Like we always talk about. Modric as being 
the guy who kind of just patches everything together in the diamond. It's like, well, here's the here's the leaky formation. Modric is just kind of that like maintenance guy who goes like to different rooms and like does patchwork and then like comes <laughs> back and like. Uh, so like having him in the team is a huge plus because he can just make you look good, probably better yep. than you really are. And uh, so, do you um, feel bad for Gareth Bale? I do, I do. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't even want to get into it. We'll talk about it mm-hmm. on the Magic Madrid show. But I'm I'm pretty bummed, and I'm I'm thinking he's probably going to get sold this summer just because of this. Though he is one of the types to to really fight for it and not complain. So we'll hopefully we'll see him maybe even start against Atletico, which is another huge game for Real Madrid, let's not forget. So yeah. hopefully, like, we, we Zidane maintains his ability to keep all of these different players happy. But, yeah, yeah I'm bummed out. Um, well, not that bummed out, but um, uh, the last thing, and last thing I wanted to say is this. So, Juve will be missing Dybala for their return, like the Bernabeu. Hmm. Real Madrid will be missing Sergio Ramos, who picked up a yellow card. Yes. <clears throat> So that means, Kian, and this is the last thing I want to say in this mm-hmm. in this chat, that Real Madrid will likely be starting Jesus Vallejo yeah. in the Bernabeu. I'm very excited. Um, so let's just football fans may know this because I constantly talk about him. I'm obsessed with him. Yeah. He is Real Madrid's next like generationally good talent in defense. I'm really excited to see how he stacks up against Gonzalo Higuain and some of the other like Manjukic and some of these other incredibly strong Juventus attackers because he's previously rolled out and played really well in La Liga matches. Yeah. But I mean, this is a totally different thing. So this I'm will really be his excited. biggest test, right? It absolutely will. And yeah. and as we saw in the um, in the in 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 in, in the Eva in in Turin. Uh, the threat of the ball in the air is actually a big one with Juve. And that ball from Dybala de Higuain, I mean, Gonzalo didn't finish it because of Kayla's brilliance. But, like, Vallejo will need to be prepared and be strong to go up against some of these players in the air. And that has historically, again, historically because he's young, but that has been his his one of his only weaknesses uh, other than injuries in his short career. Yeah, but one of the things that... Ramos and Varane and I think in particular Varane but also Ramos in big games for sure have done really well is when the team abandons them they're the ones who are mopping up the mess and snuffing yes. out counters last second and Vallejo and his limited time this season has done that Does really that well too. as well yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm yes. really excited because yes. I, I feel like you know what <clears throat> oh man I don't even know if I want maybe you <laughs> saw it already so I don't know but or maybe this will be news to you but there are comments floating around on managing madrid and social media and otherwise that fans would rather see casemiro as the center back and no oh god i, I just can't listen to these people <laughs> i don't know I can't i just i don't get it it doesn't make any sense i i genuinely don't understand people's yeah. reactions to Jesus Vallejo. I, I like i literally don't understand how you can watch this kid play and not think exactly the thing that i think about him so but maybe that's just you know the nature of subjectivity when it comes to sports because no but I've also because they have the been, they didn't watch him last season they yeah then they, they don't know how to properly analyze him this season the limited time they see him anyways yeah but but i'm, yes. I'm excited for vallejo and let's quickly good. mention the other um, champions league results obviously Bayern getting you know a pretty tough two one win against sevilla and then barcelona absolutely blowing out roma uh so likely we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a really, assuming all these results hold, it's going to be a really old school, awesome 
Champions League semifinals. Real Madrid, Liverpool, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. I mean, it's hard to get yeah. more old school than that. Maybe if you remove Barca and put in AC Milan. <laughs> would, you, but, uh, would you rather, if, if we had to face them, would you rather play Barca in the semi or final? We've already, like I feel like we talk about this every year because Barca is always we, like the, around this. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's always I'd rather take him in the semis because I think yeah. I would die literally if if yeah. I have anxiety if Barca. Barca like, fans I, I, feel that way too. By the way, I think we're as, we're as equally terrified, not necessarily of each other, but just of the of, anxiety. No, of the physical pain that that yeah. matchup will cause me. Yeah. Not like just the mental. Like the the physical <laughs> reaction to the mental stress that I will be under going into a final against Barcelona to the extent that I'm, I I I gotta tell you, you can't it's possible I wouldn't watch the game. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I I you and Om got really mad at me when I said it last time about wanting to face Barca, but if I had to choose against Barca in a neutral ground in a in a um. In a one-off game, I like our chances. I like our chances too. I like our chances in a semifinal against them. Also, yeah, I like Real Madrid against anyone. I think Madrid right now, uh, given the way everything's gone, probably are favorites to win the Champions League. Not that they will, but just that you know there are whatever eight teams left, and really four possible teams that'll win it. And you know, I think of all of them. I'd give the odds on Real Madrid, although I stand by my early season, early beginning of the season prediction that this still could be Bayern Munich year. Mm. Could be. Um, it didn't look like I was going to be right at the beginning of the season, but this is another round to stick by your pre- predictions. Keon, yeah. thank you so much for yes, coming on uh, Let's Fix Football. It's an absolute pleasure. As usual, um, everyone should check out your articles at 442. You you've, you've done you know, writing for them. You do writing for a couple other places. Obviously, you're the editor-in-chief of managingmadrid.com. And everyone should follow your other podcast, um, which is I have still not been invited, let's be clear, to, uh, <laughs> to, to cross over on, which is Churros y Tacticas, which you do with uh, Diego Yorin, who is a Barca fan and Barca journalist. It's actually quite cool and quite good to listen to you too. Kian, thanks again. Likewise, Gabe, it was, it was a ton of fun. Thank you for having me on, buddy. Shock the party and do it right, 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 right. How would you look at him? Yeah, fuck him. He walked like he just did something great and can't hold his leg muscle straight. I put a little something in my step so these over don'ts know that they ain't fucking with us yet. I never left a customer upset. You ain't huffing and puffing in my shed like it wasn't in a physic. My people ain't for tussling and shit. Listen, you heckling me in the venue. I would duff you in a nizzag. I done raised these phrases since babies in order to make them tough. I train them rough. Seldom my sentence ever escaped my mouth without me kicking them hard in the ass on the way out. I slept on the tour manager floor so that I could holler for y'all till my throat got sore. They gave me 30 minutes and I won't stop. Sword and take it back for mercy and the whole spot tore. And all the while I feed, never touching the ground. Hit ground and grind his teeth to the thunderous sound. Keep clever, every other line is something profound. Now what about me saying I'm fucking around, sweet Jesus? Listen up, get loud and clear. Don't shock and amaze with the sound you hear. I said, listen up and get right tonight. We're gonna shock the party and do it right, right. Tiptoe around me on eggshells Then got a few props and your head swelling And well, you swear to God you want boogaloo Now I look at you, I'm required to throw the book at you I soak it to my blood on antique Your blood on your sneak From a poke to the beat, right boy 
should be preserving your breath Bring murder and death when I swerve in your set Ain't heard of us yet, but we bang, bang, boogie Steer clear and let us do our damn thing Look it, here, I wanna thank y'all for rookie of the year But I ain't finished fucking with your ear God damn it, now listen up No one unless I love them. Hand slugs to Deacon, BK, your brothers, and I ain't got nothing if I ain't got pride. Either love me or don't waste my time, I break my spine. Y'all buy tickets to raise my guarantee, and that's another hungry mouth I could feed. Believe you me, sequel to the shadows and the champ EP. These motherfuckers all leaning, trying to see through me. Watch out, tell me what the fuck are you really saying? You ain't shit, you get your jewelry taken right along with your shoes and your laces. That beautiful bracelet, cause your company control the way you feel with the matrix. Shit, I came in the game with. Without a name, just some displaced anguish and the gift of the language. I give a rat's ass what category I'm placed in. At the end of the day, we all piss on the same wind. Same playpen, just a little different arrangement. And I ain't been artistically caged in. I'll bring to the table gifted innovation. Plus some morbid, more vivid imagination. I never know when to say when. When I'm hated, I debate with a stranger till I blatantly break them. I give them a facelift with the blade of the bass kick. It's the ways of the pavement, now baby, don't say shit. Right, 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 right